Welcome to Gut Check Radio, the health and wellness podcast giving you the confidence to trust in your gut. I'm your host, Dr. Nick Belden, a board-certified chiropractic physician and functional medicine practitioner. And just for those of you who are aware, the contents of this podcast are for educational purposes only and are not intended to diagnose or treat any condition and do not apply any of this information you hear in this podcast without first speaking with your physician. Look, if you want to help manage your constipation, you have to focus on eating these foods. Constipation, having been something I've gone through myself, can be one of the more frustrating bowel habits to experience. You know, at least when you have diarrhea, which isn't enjoyable by any means, but at least you feel like you did something (laughs) when you went to that white porcelain machine. But when you have constipation, and at its worst, if you're someone who's spending 20 to 30 minutes on the toilet, you just feel like, and nothing comes out, you just feel like you're wasting time. And to a degree, you almost feel so defeated for not being able to produce any sort of output. And you just feel personally attacked. And it's if you've ever had a day where you've had a great bowel movement in the morning, there is no better feeling. But if you've had a day where you've struggled with constipation and pushing and straining and needing to grip anything you can get your hands on within a three-foot radius of the toilet to try and produce a bowel movement, that's incredibly frustrating. And I think the problem that people have or the approach that they take when they're constipated is is they start too high on the food chain. So they start with things such as anal suppositories or Miralax are two of the more common um, interventions that people use, Miralax being a little more accessible than anal suppositories. But people are also overly reliant on quote-unquote natural laxatives from different forms of magnesium such as magnesium oxide or magnesium lactate. Fun fact, if you really want to produce a bowel movement, I would use one of those two forms of magnesium. Works great. Or even coffee enemas. And I think what you're doing when you're doing that is you're, you're putting the cart before the horse. Because the two most impactful and most importantly financially free interventions you can use to support your constipation include, number one, low-level physical activity. Number two would be hydration. Now we'll unpack a little bit of what both of those mean. Low-level physical activity, I'm referring to walking. It could also be stretching or mobility work or housework. For most of us, it's probably most practical to focus on the walking and the household chores activity. For the hydration status, the topic of how much water should you consume is beyond the scope of this podcast. And there's other podcasts out there that do a tremendous job of diving into that. If you want a really good one, I would recommend Andy Galpin. If you type in Andy Galpin hydration, there will be plenty of good podcasts that come up. But I have a couple rules of thumb. One of them, if you're not mindful of your water consumption, meaning you don't just have your water bottle within an arm's reach of you at all times, you should probably start there. And then I think from that point, you'll do a pretty good job of reaching for it, you know, every 15, 20 minutes or so to take a couple sips. And if you're someone who is mindful of your water consumption, then I would pay more attention to your electrolyte intake. Because I have seen people who their constipation or their bowel issues is a result of electrolyte imbalances. But I think to go back to the the scope or the main point of this podcast is to discuss evidence-based foods that you can include into your regime in order to help with constipation. So I'm making a couple assumptions here. Number one is that you've 
addressed the root cause of your constipation and you rolled out a particular gut bug or a sleep disturbance or any sort of mold or heavy metal toxicity and you've discovered, hey, it's just my dietary diversity or I need to add different fiber sources to my life. Either way, it's a dietary diversity issue. And in tandem with that, once you've also addressed the aforementioned two big rocks of constipation, hydration, and low-level physical activity, then we can really move on and hone in on nutritional interventions. And I'm going to talk about four specific nutritional interventions that have some pretty decent efficacy. And I'll put the link to the study that I'm pulling these from in the show notes. Number one is probably one of the more popular products. That's psyllium husk. Many of you out there may know it as Metamucil, which I've seen added to different cereals or different quote unquote healthy granolas. And it actually probably has the most evidence regarding any one food product for its effects with constipation. And a meta-analysis, which is on the higher end of the quality of studies that you wanna look at when you're assessing nutritional or any sort of particular intervention, found that the the best dose to use for psyllium husk is between the ranges of seven to 30 grams per day. So you're looking about a half tablespoon to two tablespoons. And what I do is if I ever go through what I call rough patches or where my poop is in a group and I'm struggling a little bit with having the bowels flowing is I'll either add some to oatmeal or I'll add some to my protein and canned pumpkin mix. And that way I can get it in. I know they recommend on the product that I use from now foods that you take it with water and they emphasize that you want to take it with a lot of water because if you don't, you may run into the risk of choking because of how thin the psyllium husk is. And number two is aloe vera. Many of us may be familiar with this as something that we may have applied to sunburned skin as a child and maybe it's something we still use now. But if you look at a lot of gut health focused supplements, you're gonna find aloe vera extract in many of those and I was one who, when before I knew about aloe vera and its use for GI, I was kind of skeptical. But if you think about this for a second, so the, the, the skin cells and the cells that line the inside of the gut are actually made from very similar precursors. So from that level of thinking, from that first principles perspective, it makes sense that aloe vera would be beneficial for both the skin, which is a sort of mucous membrane, and the gut, which is made up of mucous membranes. And again, a meta-analysis, which is one of the highest qualities of evidence that we can examine, of over 150 patients found that using aloe vera extract reported a greater improvement in stool frequency and consistency versus placebo. So if you're someone who is a research buff or a research nerd and you're looking at constipation, the two big things they're going to be analyzing or looking for in terms of objective outcomes is stool frequency, so how often are you going to the bathroom, and stool consistency. So was it a ripe banana? Was it a tiny pebble? Was it just a waterfall coming out of you? You know, we watched the movie Bridesmaids a couple weeks ago in the line where it's coming out like lava. Hopefully that's not your case, but unfortunately I have worked with people who that is the case. And on the stool frequency end, my goal when I work with people clinically is to get them to at least have one bowel movement a day. And I remember seeing literature that showed that 90% of people are going to have between, I think it was three to seven bowel movements a week, or no, excuse me, it was between three to 21 bowel movements a week, which is incredibly variable. And I think that just shows, you know, how many people 
are pooping every other day, which again, I like to get people to have a bowel movement at least once every day, because not only does it feel good to feel like you're clearing yourself of things you don't need every day, but it's also one of the major ways of detoxification. And if you're getting that prime to work every single day, that's just more opportunity you have to get rid of stuff you don't want. And so psyllium husk and aloe vera are probably more supplements. They're still nutritional grade products, but they're not exactly foods. Like I would never just eat psyllium husk on its own from the flavor, but two other foods I'm about to mention you about, I actually do eat on their own from time to time. Number one is kiwis. Fun fact about kiwi, and I actually saw this advertisement on one of the kiwis that I ate yesterday, was it has three times the amount of vitamin C as an orange. I remember watching a YouTube video maybe five or six years ago from Jeff Nippard. Shout out to Jeff Nippard if you're a big fitness fanatic. That kiwis are one of the most densely packed sources of vitamin C on the planet. Not only that, I think they taste pretty darn good on their own. And a couple randomized controlled trials, which again, I'm, I'm doing research speak here, but what they do to make meta-analysis or studies of studies, because meta means about, analysis means to analyze obviously, is they take studies of studies and typically they take a bunch of randomized controlled trials. So you take a bunch of RCTs or randomized controlled trials to get meta-analysis and systematic reviews and several randomized controlled trials have found that two peeled kiwis per day, I actually eat the peels, but I digress on that, can improve, here's that phrase again, stool frequency and stool consistency. I like to eat the peels because in my view, you're probably getting more fiber by eating the peels. And I just, maybe I'm ignorant, but I just think that our gut has evolved well enough to be able to just to handle most stuff that's thrown in there. Obviously, if you just throw wood chips in there, which technically would be fiber, probably not going to go well. But I just think eating the peel is generally a safe strategy. Fun fact, I also eat the green part of a strawberry. I don't really eat strawberries that much anymore. But if I do, I do tend to eat that green little piece on top. People think I'm weird. Whatever. And that second food we're going to be talking about is figs. I actually started eating figs maybe a year and a half ago when I was trying to increase my carb consumption when I was doing competitive CrossFit training. So I started eating more figs, more dates, and more honey. And I will, big caveat to figs, if you're someone who has bloating or abdominal pain and that's more of your digestive issues versus constipation, I wouldn't recommend figs or dates because they have a particular type of carbohydrate or fiber that could ferment too much in your gut and could be further driving your abdominal pain and bloating. But if you're not someone who deals with those and it's mostly constipation, then again, several randomized controlled trials have found that about um, 90 grams a day of figs, which is about 12 figs a day, which I'm not gonna lie, is a lot for four months can lead to improvements. And one more time, there's that phrase, stool frequency and stool consistency. To reiterate, if you're looking at research regarding constipation, they will more than likely be assessing stool frequency and stool consistency. And what I use and what probably is one of the, I wouldn't call it the gold standard because that's the highest level, but one of the most efficacious ways to measure stool consistency is something called the Bristol stool chart. It's something I use with all my patients to help them track their stool intake. 
and it's made up of types one through seven. Type one, I'll put a link to a picture, not a picture itself, but I'll put a link in the show notes. Type one is more constipation. Type seven is more of your runny, watery diarrhea. And types three and four are considered normal. The picture I have in my office that I'm looking at right now actually has crowns. (laughs) So what I jokingly tell people is let's work to have you have bougie poops. One final note on the fig consumption. Figs are pretty high in sugar and their sugar to fiber content is a little on the higher end and they're also lower in protein. So if you're someone who deals with blood sugar or metabolic health abnormalities, I wouldn't maybe eat 12 figs a day. (laughs) I would more so work on eating something like kiwis or psyllium husk or aloe vera. Psyllium husk is actually mostly fiber, so that may be beneficial more so for satiety and overall metabolic health effect. Last one, so sorry, I said I said two, we're gonna be looking at three foods. The last food is one that used to be the most heavily touted and might still be in the conventional circles, and that's prunes. I remember I worked at a retirement home in college at any time, or not in college, in high school, anytime I tell people this, they assume I was cleaning up urine from toilets and helping people with cognitive impairment walk. I wasn't doing that, I was actually working in a dining room and I found a lot of people ordered prunes for dessert or even for dinner. And the conventional, you know, old wives, sacred cow back then was just, oh, prunes, they help, they help me stay regular. And I didn't think much about it. They looked gross. And now that I'm working with people, I haven't actually seen many people get dramatic improvement from interventions from prunes. But a couple of randomized controlled trials have found, similar to figs, that 12 prunes a day can help with stool frequency and also stool weight. So one of the things about constipation, if it's a couple little pebbles, is it's it's not well formed. So by theoretically helping to bulk up stool and add weight to it, you could help with the elimination and could help with a little more of the normalcy and ultimately the consistency of the stool. And what was interesting about these trials that looked at prunes was that they had a greater effect than did psyllium husk. But specifically, they use six grams of psyllium husk as a comparison. And as we talked about in the initial intro on psyllium, you want to use anywhere between seven to 30 grams. So to me, the fact that 12 prunes was better than six grams of psyllium, I would maybe go a tablespoon or about 15 grams of psyllium as a way to experiment with it that'll help with, again, your stool frequency and your stool consistency. I made some big assumptions in the beginning. I'm going to make one last assumption. Sorry, you know what the phrase about assumptions is that if you're dealing with overall IBS, so the combination of constipation, abdominal pain, maybe even alternating between constipation and diarrhea, I would really strongly consider you look up and look more into a low FODMAP diet because that, from all the, the research I've come across, that dietary intervention seems to have the most amount of efficacy time and time again for supporting IBS. Some people will disagree, some will agree, so is the nature of the world. But if you haven't tried it before and you're looking for a diet to experiment with, see if it'll help your gut, I think the low FODMAP diet is one worth experimenting with. Anyways, I hope you all enjoyed today's solo. So this was fun for me to make because I've personally dealt with constipation. I, I tend to deal with it whenever I travel, particularly on planes. The couple days after traveling, I'll be stocked up. I typically, my go-to sources are psyllium husk and kiwis are kind of my favorite two to use. And within a couple days, I go back to being regular. Is it the psyllium husk or the kiwis that are doing that specifically, or is it just the fact that three days later, I'm 
back to some sort of normalcy in my routine. Could be a little bit of both. But anyways, this, this holds a lot of personal interest to me, so I thought a few of you out there might benefit from some knowledgeable ideas on foods and nutritional interventions to assist with constipation. Anyways, guys, if you did find this video informative, I would love it if you shared it with someone who could also benefit from it. And if you left it a review, everyone always asks for five stars, but again, you give it whatever star you deem most necessary on your podcast platform of choice. And if you want to learn more in general about my gut health approach, I'll leave a link in the show notes to my 10 ways and 10 days to better gut health. So you'll just get an email every day for 10 days about diet, probiotics, testing, food sensitivities, all that in relation to gut health and things you can start incorporating right now to help improve your gut health overall. Thank you all for trusting me to be a part of your day. If you enjoyed the show and found it informative or entertaining, we invite you to share the love by leaving a five-star rating or review on your podcast platform of choice or by sharing this episode with your family and friends. And until next time, trust in your gut.